This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Wow, you guys are like lively. Thank you. Someone likes to see me. Good, good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm glad that you made it to Relevant Life Church. Welcome online. If you are watching us online, uh, what an opportunity it is in such a day and age as this to be able to preach in a building and have people watch us all across the United States and some in other countries. Isn't that amazing? We're, we're not world-renowned, but I'm telling you, with, with COVID and live streaming, that's kind of happening in some ways. Uh, not, not that people are seeking us out. It's usually my, my dear friends are saying, I p- feel sorry for you, Pastor. No one's watching you, so I'm going to watch you. <laughs> right? No. It's because, I'll say this, it's because Relevant Life Church, it's because you, you have made an impact on people's lives. And they want to show up because they've been impacted by your lives. They come online and do that. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, anybody want to hear what BGMC came in that last week? Yeah, as you can tell, we have some women that are really bitter at this moment. So that should tell us men something. That men won. Right? Yeah, we can see the numbers up here. Boys, $1,200. Girls, $1,149. We barely pulled it out. We barely pulled it out. But men, you are my heroes. Come on, let's give a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, a total of 23000 or 23000 Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> Pastor Sean is going, yes, $23,000, right? $2,349 for BGMC. You know, we've, we say it in sincerity. We, this is a competition that we like to banter back and forth. And yes, the boys want to win just as much as the girls want to win. But, you know, in sincerity, as we talk as a staff, ultimately, Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge always wins. And if they win, if Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge always wins, then that means the people of our world are winning as a result of what we're providing. They're getting the curriculum. They're getting the the literature. And so one more time, let's just give one more round of applause, shall we? Yeah. Such a good opportunity, and I was sweating it up until the last moment. I actually accused Allie. I, she called me on the phone and said, guess what? And I, and, I'm, and I get off the phone, and Sasser goes, is this an April Fool's joke? Because it took a place on Friday. So I turn around and text her right away and going, are you being serious? Is this April Fool's? Is this Because I was waiting for her to come back to the office and go, ha, fooled you. But they didn't do that to me. Uh, anyway, so I want to remind you also, Connect Groups this Friday, make sure that you go on and sign up. We're really low in attendance at this point, and we would love for you to participate. I know that people, again, once again, have struggled with the concept of doing this as Zoom, uh, but the way the mechanics work and the way the, 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 the engine works behind all this, it's not something that we can shift it really quickly. And so we're doing uh, Zoom one more time, and then in the fall, we are planning to uh, move forward with in-home Connect Groups. But you don't want to miss it. It's, gonna, it's just a four-week, or it's just the month of April. So, so don't miss it. Okay, everyone, everyone go on and sign up for a group. Uh, we usually have an average of around 50 people that show, show up. We would, let's, let's make it 70 right? Let's get involved. If you're not involved and you're feeling disconnected, can I tell you this is a way, a possible way for you to feel connected. Uh, turn to your, or don't even, you can turn to your neighbor if you want, but I was pestering people this morning. Ever, anyone have a sibling? 
Anybody, anybody have a, a, an older sibling? You were the younger sibling that you pestered, you know, that kind of that pester going, hey, 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 right? Anybody ha- be the older sibling that someone did that to you? Uh, so what I want you to do to your neighbor right now is pester them. Everyone put, put, them on the, put them on the leg or whatever and go, hey, I love you. Come on, everyone together. Hey, I love you. Uh, let's mean it today. Hey, I love you. Right? Hey, good job. Good job. There's nothing like being in the body, nothing like being in, in, in the room today. Today we start a brand new series called Relationships 101. Relationships 101. I can tell you that this, this series has created some tension in myself. When we talk about relationships, how many have ever had a relationship that has been challenging? You know, so when we talk about relationships, uh, we're talking about uh, it brings, brings good memories, it brings bad memories, it brings tension in our lives. And I prayed a lot about this series. We, Trent and I, as a team, we've, as we wrote, began to write this, we prayed a lot about this series. We prayed a lot about how God wants us to break this series apart. Uh, I can tell you today that probably as, as a result of that prayer, I feel this, this urgency within my life. Uh, urgency probably that this is one of the series that is a landmark series. We don't talk enough about relationships. We don't talk about enough about the importance of how they are to function. And so we're going back to the basics. Everyone say back to the, back to the basics. Back to the basics. Relationships 101. And who of us have ever stayed awake at night because of a broken relationship? How many, who of us have stayed awake at night because of a new love budding in a relationship? Right, so I'm seeing some heads nod. So this relationship brings the dynamic of great challenge and excitement, but also great grief, right? We've all experienced the highs and the lows of relationships. Uh, Some of us here today, many of us here today, have what I'm gonna call relationship baggage. That we've been hurt in a relationship and we've been misunderstood in a relationship and, and there's been betrayed possibly in a relationship. And maybe you've been the one that's betrayed. Maybe you've been the one that's caused hurt. And so there's this baggage going, no, I'm dysfunctional or no, I was in a dysfunctional relationship. Can anyone identify with those things? There's something within us, though, as a result of all that, con- that continues to reach for this thing called relationship. And I'll tell you the reason why is because God designed you and I for relationship. It's not something that we can hide. It's not something that we can, we can push down completely. There is something within us that would love to be able to walk into relationships that are only healthy relationships. But how many know that broken people produce broken relationships? And if you don't realize it today, I hate to tell you, you are broken. The only perfect one is God. So you are broken and so therefore, in your brokenness of, of, of humanity, you take that into another relationship that is broken, and you have brokenness, and brokenness breeds brokenness until someone comes and says, no, how do I redeem relationship? How do I redeem relationship in me? And so that's kind of where we're starting at today, is in the very basis of this. What I've discovered is that one of the most rewarding, life-giving, and enjoyable elements of a human life is healthy relationships. Can you say amen to that? When you have a healthy relationship, you can go, no, that, I, I like this. this. It gives life. Relationships bring a sense of belonging. Relationships bring hope. They bring peace. They bring security. They help you get through, the, uh, get through life unlike any amount of money or gifting ever could. They teach you invaluable lessons. They foster some of the most memorable lifetime events a human could experience. There is nothing like a healthy relationship, right? But you know, on the flip side of that, 
There's this double-sided coin of relationships. And as I've described one side, there's the other side that the, one of the, that the most amazing elements of life can come from relationships. One of the hardest parts of life can come from relationships. They can be one of the most difficult, stretching, heartbreaking things that you'll ever face in life. Relationships can cause stress. They can cause angst. They can cause hurt. They can cut you deep. They can create resentment. They can create unforgiveness. It, goes, it pulls us into this thing to go, God, am I going to be like you or am I going to be fleshly? Relationships can cause distrust. They can cause guilt. They can cause shame. They have the potential to destroy the future of any person. Now, all of us are here today as a product of healthy people in our lives and unhealthy people in our lives. All of us are here and we respond to relationships oftentimes based upon our past experiences and baggages. Anybody guilty of that? I can tell you I sure am. When you look back at creation, this account that took place in the first few chapters of Genesis uh, and continuing on through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not just talked about once, it's all throughout. There's a theme throughout the, the, the book the Bible that we talk about, and it runs through a gamut of principles all about life. But can I tell you that there's a major topic, and that's relationships. A major topic in Scripture, and that's relationships. When we think of the importance of relationships or the, found, the foundation of relationships, just so you understand, God is a God of relationship. Him in Himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a uniqueness of each individual, and there's a uniqueness and value of each part, part of that community. God in himself is relationship. God in himself is community. You look at God, the God of creation, as he created the heavens and the earth and the trees and the bushes and the water and all of those things. He related to, to his creation in a way to bring out the, the, the value and the uniqueness of each item. And then he says he created the most important thing, man and woman. He created this concept of people to go, I not only want you to be in relationship with me, but I'm creating you in your uniqueness and in your individuality and in your value that you would bring individuality and value and uniqueness to someone else. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Everyone say it's not good. All the way up to this point, God's going, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And all of a sudden, he creates man and he goes, it's not good for man to be alone. Many times we step into this, which there is this meaning, but we always come back and go, well, that means that everyone needs to be married because they have to have a husband or they have to have a wife. I want to tell you today, whether that's your theology or not, I'm going to explain to you the fullness of theology today, that God's not talking about married and singleness. God's talking about companionship. He's not talking about an introvert or an extrovert. He's ta not talking about whether you like people or don't like people. God's going, it's not good for humanity to walk alone. There's an overarching meaning to all of it. We were created not just for an individual likeness, but also for a community likeness. When we think of God's likeness, in the image of God, you and I were created, right? Not only is it the image that we think of in this likeness of him, but we have to go back to the community of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In his likeness, we were created. 
In the community of God, we were created. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us, everyone say us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And after our likeness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the likeness, the community, the relationship. Many of us come out and we go, no, I am unique and I am an individual and God created me in his image. And I, if you want to be in his image, you got to be in community. Because his image is community. His image is this unity that walks and talks and relates together. Adam's mandate to bear, this, bear God's image was not just an individual image, was not just an individual process. It was an ongoing process of relationship. Relationship is what we have lost over the last two years. Community is what we've lost over the last two years. Relationship is where the enemy tries to get in and he tries to bring division. He tries to bring disunity. He tries to break down the walls. He tries to bring resentment. He tries to bring angst and anger. He causes our pride to rise up rather than a heart of humility to go, no, God, I need these people. We step in and we go, well, I need some people. I don't need all people. Anybody ever feel that way? (laughs) Sometimes those people that we don't need are the ones that sometimes we probably need in our lives to rub off some of the rough edges. Have you discovered that? Yet as we are painfully aware, you and I do not live in a community that perfectly reflects the community of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we look around our culture today, as we look at just the last two years and we see the dysfunction of humanity, I don't know about you, I can get all riled inside and I can be justified with my belief systems, but when I come to the reality of the presence of God and submit, I'm humbled and I'm ashamed. It doesn't cause pride in me, it causes shame in me. It doesn't cause arrogance in me, it causes, oh God, help me to be better. And today our challenge, when we talk about Relationships 101, we want to challenge you to bring your brokenness along with someone else's brokenness and say, God, how do we get to a healthy relationship? Relationships 101, before you can have successful relationship with those around you, you must have a successful relationship with the one who created you. Today, our, our world, our create, God's creation, America, around the, around the nations, the reason we cannot get along is because we cannot submit to the God that created us. So it all begins with this relationship that you and I have with God. Before you can have a successful relationship with those around you, you must have this successful relationship with God, the one who created you. The title of my message this morning is, What Defines You Most? What defines you most? What is it that defines you? Is it your height? Is it what you look like? Is it what you think like? Is it your, is it your income? Is it your house? Is it the car you drive? You know, isn't that oftentimes we'll go through and go, well, if, can you describe yourself to someone? And oftentimes we're going to come back and go, well, let me, let me give you characteristics of me. I want to propose to you this morning that what defines you most is your relationship with God. What defines you most is your relationship with God. What should define you most is your relationship with God. Many of us are walking this planet today with insecurity. Many of us are walking this, prep, this, this planet today with, with brokenness and inferiority, anger. Can I tell you, if you're in right relationship with God, it's going to shift who you are. It's going to change you. And in changing you, your life is going to change someone else's life. 
This importance of true community though, as we walk together. Our job is not to question God's intention or creation, but to study it and to leverage it. The series today, 101, is to start at the very basics. We're not going to cover, we're barely going to scratch the surface in the next eight weeks. We're barely going to even get into this concept of relationships. But I can tell you this, that we are going to talk, we're going to touch on romantic relationships, family relationships, friend relationships, work relationships, and covering areas and trying to dig below the surface of some of those. Anybody have tension in any of those relationships? Those are relationships that we want to talk about. This idea of 101 is to cover just the basics. I want to challenge you with this concept that many of us in this room have learned relationships from dysfunctional relationships. How many can honestly step back and go, you've learned how to, you've learned how to be a husband or a wife from watching your mom and dad? Right? Whether they're amazing or whether they're not, there was things that we learned. And so our process now that we step into relationships is that we've learned something. Now we've got to be challenged and be willing to unlearn and then step into the fact of going, I'm going to relearn. And I know that that's more difficult as we get older. You younger ones are going to be able to do this a lot easier than some of us. But I want to ask you today, before we even step into this, real quickly, would you, in your mind, maybe on a sheet of paper, what is it that you need to unlearn? What do you need to unlearn in your relationships? I'll be transparent with you. One of the things that I've had to continue to unlearn in my life, something that was lived before me for 18 years, and I've been out of the house for longer than 18 years, but those formative years shaped me. Can I tell you, I was, what, what I learned growing up was bitterness and anger, carrying offense. What I've had to unlearn is that. Now what I'm trying to relearn is to not keep score. What I'm trying to relearn is that I don't keep a, an account of wrongs, that I need to be a person that's quick to forgive, so I ask you today, what is it that you need to unlearn? What is it that you need to get out of your life to go, no, this is dysfunctional? Can anyone identify something in your life that's going, no, this is dysfunctional. I need to unlearn this. So our challenge is that you'll step into an unlearning and a relearning. This concept of relationship, let me give you the definition. The state of being related or interrelated with. Related, whether it's by marriage, whether it's by birth, or interrelated or interconnected as a community, the body of Christ. Interrelated is those puzzle pieces that stick together. The state of being connected by blood or marriage. The way in which people regard and behave toward each other. So the last part of that definition, as you think about it, how is it that you regard people and how is it that you behave toward people? Whether it's family whether it's friends, whether it's acquaintances, whether it's people at the grocery store, whether it's people you work with, how is it that you regard them? Do you see them as equals or do you see them as inferior to you? Do you see them as, as uh, smart or do you see them as dumb? Anyone ever, well, I won't ask you that question because <laughs> you drive down the road and you sometimes go, that person is not, that, that guy's got it, he's a few, a few bricks short. So our series premise today, Overarching, as we look at the next, next eight weeks, is this. Every other healthy relationship flows out of your right and healthy relationship with God. 
Every other healthy relationship flows out of your right and healthy relationship with God. What I have discovered, discovering, what I am learning, relearning, because again, I fail in relationships. Anybody here fail in relationships? You fail in your marriage, you fail with your kids, you fail in your friends, you fail at work. Yes, am I the only one? Okay, we fail. We have our mistakes. And I can tell you this, that if I am right with God, if I am right with him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave like him. I'm going to be drawn to behave like him. It's going to pull me to forgive when I want to be resentful. It's going to pull me to love when I feel angry and, and hateful. Right? So that's why we have to come back to the very foundation of this, is this relationship with God. So today, that's where we're going to begin. Throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, over thousands of years, there's an interlocking of passages, an interlocking of the story of creation from the very beginning to the very end of this thing called community, of this thing called relationships. And God, the authors, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have instructed these authors, and they referred to uh, our relationship with God as a marriage. They referred to our relationship with God as a friendship They referred to our relationship with God as him being our master and we're his servants. Uh, You know, we step back into these concepts and these are foreign to us oftentimes. We can read them and we can align our life sort of with them, but we don't completely understand them. And so today I want to pick four primary relationship types and I want to present to you four primary relationships that are going to overflow into our relationship series but our relationship one-on-one with God, the very basics today of what God is looking for our, in our life and what he desires from us. Number one, God is the perfect spouse. Anyone else have a perfect spouse here? I'm raising my hand saying I have the perfect spouse. She is amazing. She is amazing. God is the perfect spouse. Uh, there is no flaw. There is no mistakes. He is continually faithful He never has wrong expectations. He always understands, right? Isaiah 54.5 says this, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, uh, who is called the God of all the earth. Isaiah 62.5 says this, For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I'm a je- I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that, you, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Matthew 22.2 says, The kingdom of heaven, this thing that we talk about week after week after week, this thing that God talked about, he says, The kingdom of heaven is, in a sense, like a marriage. And I'm preparing this, uh, maybe compared to the king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, I can tell you this, that oftentimes marriage creates some of the most tension in our lives. And us as men today, particularly, we're going to struggle with this concept of being married to a God. Because we as husbands think that we are the head, as Christ said it, but we are as a submission, a surrender to the head. All of us, there's a submission and surrender to the head. God is the husbandman, the Bible talks about, and we, by, by, by example, are the bride of Christ. And for men today to understand the bride of Christ going, I ain't wearing a dress. I'm not the bride, I'm the man. Can I tell you there's a concept here that throughout Scripture, God refers to over and over and over again, and he gives us this example 
of our relationship with him as being married to God. When God talks about relationship, when God talks about marriage, when God talks about being uh, the husbandman in our lives, there's two words that come, up to my, come up into my mind, and the first one that describes him best is the word covenant. Today, we live in a contract culture, not a covenant culture. Everyone say contract. We live in a contract culture. You've, if you bought a car, you've signed a contract. If you bought a house, you've signed a contract. If you purchase most anything, you've signed a contract. And within that contract, there's a list of things that can happen and can't happen. And if one, side, one party or the other party breaks that contract, that contract has been voided. When we talk about a contract here, a legal and a binding mutual agreement based upon stated and fulfilled criteria. It is a limited duration and it usually has a default clause. A contract can be broken. Can I tell you, I'm not, I don't want to come and bring condemnation this morning, but God did not create marriage as a contract. It was never contractual. It was never based upon what you do for me, I will do for you. And if you quit doing it, then the contract's broken. God was never based on contract. He comes back to this word covenant. And a covenant is a solemn agreement involving reciprocal benefits and responsibilities. Everyone say benefits. Everyone say responsibilities. One more, oh, that got a little quieter. Everyone say responsibilities. We like the benefits of a, of a covenant, but we don't always like the responsibilities of a covenant. Isn't that the reality? We like what we're going to get from it, not necessarily what we have to give to it. But the agreement is not based upon the other party's behavior, failures, or limitations. So today, when we talk about this covenant between us and God, as we get into the, this, the message about marriage, as we get into the covenant between a husband and a wife, this covenant between us and God is not based upon our limitations or his limitations. He has none. It's not based upon our failures and our, 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 our behaviors. Are you thankful for that? Come on, think about it. God is perfect, and he's the one that has to put up with our nonsense. He's the one that has to put up with our, our impurities and our imperfections. Can I tell you, we got the better, better part of the bargain in this covenant. It's based upon unconditional promises, which you and I would call vows. Unconditional love, which we would talk about in 1 Corinthians 13, and acceptance in a permanent binding. You know what I find myself as I begin to think of God being my spouse? There's a lot that he has to tolerate, and there's not much I have to tolerate. God is so, so good to us. Think about it. Think about this relationship that he gives to us, that he loves us with an unending love. Regardless of, our, uh, regardless of us walking away from him or deciding not to serve him in a way that he expects us to. It's a covenant that he says, no, I made a covenant with you, and I'm not going to break the covenant. You may break it, but it doesn't mean it's broken. A contract is about a 50-50 relationship that if you do, I will do. I can tell you, I've done a lot of counseling. I've been in marriage for 35 years, and there's been times in our marriage, and I've watched in other marriages, that we do the 50-50. If you scratch my back, then I'm going to scratch yours. God calls us to 100-100. That's covenant. Regardless of what, per, what one person's doing, you're doing it all. And that's what, God, that's what God illustrates to us. 
Regardless of whether we're faithful or whether we're not, God never leaves us, never forsakes us. He doesn't throw us, throw us to the dogs. He keeps us. He loves us. Luke chapter 22 says this. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Everyone say new covenant. In the Old Testament, there's a covenant that was made between God and Abraham that was passed on to the tribe of Israel. And as a result of the New Testament covenant was passed on to us. And the way covenant was the way covenant was made was through the cutting, through the blood, through, the, through that aspect of saying, God, th- there was blood that was shed. And Jesus is coming in the New Testament right at the moment, right before he is going to the cross. And he said, it's going to be through the shedding of my blood, which brings this brand new covenant that ushers in a whole new era, that ushers in a whole new understanding of relationship. That under the Old Testament, there were a lot more rules. There were a lot more things that we as humans could not accommodate. As we know today, even under this brand new covenant, we still can't accommodate it. But can I tell you today, it's because of God's covenant with us, his faithfulness to us today, that we can come and we can sit here and we can stand here and we can go about life and his mercies never end. It's his covenant. It's his faithfulness. And today, as we look at this idea of marriage, God made marriage to be a visible representation of his relationship with us as his church. So as we, those of you that are blessed to be married, maybe some of you are coming going, well, I'm not really blessed to be married. I don't know where you're at. But for us to be married, as we walk in this relationship of marriage, it is a symbol of what God is to the church. And just as frustrated as you might get with your spouse, do you ever consider that God might ever come and go, oh, I love them, but is your behavior, your relationship with God honoring him. Before I finish this point, I want to bring us back to what I would call our traditional vows, our traditional Christian covenant that we as married couples do in our ceremonies. Maybe you can go back to the day when you looked in your spouse's eyes and you said, I, Kevin, take you, Rhonda, to be my lawful wedded spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward for better and for worse. For richer, for poorer, for sickness and health and love, cherish, I pledge my faithfulness to you as long as I live. Can I tell you, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the series, but through this last year, our vows, our covenant marriage has been tested. Not my love. I love her. But can I tell you, it has brought it down to the, to the dirty fact of the vows to go, no, regardless of good or bad, I'm committed to you. Can I tell you, my challenge to you in this, have you sat down face to face with God and say, I, Kevin, take you, God, to be my lawful wedded spouse, to love and to hold from this day forward for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer and sickness and health and love and to cherish and pledge my faithfulness as long as we both shall live. Can I tell you that that is God in himself? What I watch in Christianity, what I watch in my own life is the fickleness of humanity that steps back and go, well, God, I'm sick, so therefore I don't love you today. God, I'm poor today, so I don't love you today. God, my life is worse, and I want better. Can I tell you today, covenant is not about which one it is. It's a covenant is I'm going to be faithful to. And again, you and I, as 
the spouse of God, are always winning. He is the one that never fails. Relationship number two, God is the perfect parent. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that, he should call, that we should be called the children of God. Everyone say children of God. And that is what we are. God describes the kingdom in family terms. He talks about the father, the son. He talks about the church being the bride. He talks about the sons and the daughters, that we are children of God. Throughout the Gospels, we can see the pattern of being Father God. Over 150 times, Jesus refers to God as his Father in the Gospels. Now, it's not nothing, anything new, but when we look at the Old Testament, when there's been implications of God being the Father, they've all been very sterile and distant. When, God talk, when Jesus talks about God the Father, he's talking about Abba, Father, my Daddy God. He's bringing it to this idea and concept that, no, he's not just a father that we are fearful of, a father that's far away. It's a father that we are in relationship with, that we are in covenant with. Jesus himself taught us this concept of our father who art in heaven. And he taught us this concept of prayer, that there's this relationship of how we ask and how we seek. Some people may have a difficult time relating to God as a father. Can I tell you today, I come, one of the greatest, hardest concepts of, for my life as a follower of Christ was the concept of a father because my father was not the best father. I know my father loved me ultimately, but can I tell you what I looked at as a father was fearful, was an angry man, was a man that insulted, was a man that condemned, was a man that produced and created insecurities in my life. So I step back and go, ah, do I trust this, this God that is my father? We have to go to the Word of God and find out what does God say about us. Maybe you are here today and you are a daughter of a father that felt that was abused or verbally, verbally abused, whatever it might be, and you have this concept of a, of a man, of a father that is a horrific picture. Today, I want to redeem the concept of God the Father. Pastor Gene Veith says this, the essence of fatherhood is found in God, not in human beings. The essence, everyone say the essence. The very foundation, the fabric of fatherhood is found in God. He's the one that designed it. He's the one that created it. And as a father, God is a father. He is the source of life. Without the father, as without him giving part of himself in, this, in the conception of a child, he is the source of life that is there. God is this loving, the, the, God lovingly corrects us. God brings discipline. Now, you may have experienced poor discipline or wrong discipline or abuse, but can I tell you that God in his perfection brings the perfect discipline? And as we see in, in all throughout Scripture in the New Testament, because God loves us, he disciplines us. It's not a form of of, of disappointment. It's not a form of, I hate you, or disgruntled. It's because he loves us that he disciplines us. God provides for our needs. He's Jehovah Jireh. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. We're talking about the Father God here. This is his character. The Father God gives us wisdom. His inspired word is a source. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is a source of wisdom. One of my favorites is this, that he always welcomes us back. Probably one of the most beautiful pictures of a father is the prodigal son. 
That as the prodigal son comes running home, the father, what? Doesn't reject him. The father runs to him. The father goes out of character to go, no, my son is coming home. Can I tell you today, that's the father that you and I serve. So regardless of where you're at today, regardless of what your baggage might possibly be, God, our father, is a perfect God. He's a perfect father. He's the one that is the essence of fatherhood. Let him redeem that in your life. Third characteristic, our third relationship that he reflects to us is God is the perfect friend. John chapter 15, Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he says, you are my friends. He goes, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Can I tell you today, this concept, this, this, this tension that we feel between this God that we serve and this master that we have, he's the one that comes and says, no, I call you my friends. You're not just my servants. You don't just work for me. You're my friends. I'm going to work alongside you. James chapter 2, 23 says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Wow, what an honor. What a, what a recognition. You know, have you ever had someone stand up and have a conversation in front of someone else and go, you know, and this is, this is my really good friend, Kevin, or this is my really good friend, Melody. What does that do within you? What does that create within you? It creates a form of acceptance and acknowledgement. Think about this statement that Jesus is coming and saying, and God himself coming to Abraham and going, this, you're, called, you're my friend. I'm not just this God that's distant. I'm not just this God that you worship. I'm, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be in relationship with you. To God, let me give you real quickly, to God, friendship is natural. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is natural to him. Can I tell you that sometimes friendship, friendship is not natural for us. Our friendships oftentimes have expectations. Our friendships have, if you meet these five criteria, then we can be friends. Anybody guilty of that? Anybody keep score in your friendships? I see a couple on your head. Anybody else? Anybody out there? Yeah, we, 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 can, we can be guilty of those things. To God, friendship is an agreement of mind, of, of wills and minds. When we talk about, when God talks about his friendship with us, he's basically saying, if you will align with my will and align with my mind, you will be my friend. Can I tell you that not all are friends of God? That's hard. Right? God is exclusive, and we can get all upset about that concept, even in our humanity life of going, well, that's someone's best friend. Just like God says, no, there's an alignment of a will and a mind to come and go, no, I agree with you. My, I, I, I am like-minded with you. There's a unity that comes. God is, uh, to God, friendship is founded on a, on a, on a love of good or a love for good. Can I tell you that as you pursue good, as like God pursues good, your friendship with God grows? It comes back to the will of, or to, the, to, to love what God loves, to align yourself with what God loves. To God, to God friendship is eternal. 
Friendship goes on and on and on and on. Can I tell you today, we are here this morning and we will take ourselves to heaven, but you're going to take people with you to heaven. You're not going to take your house, your car, your money. Friendship is eternal. Relationships are eternal. So God is looking at it today and he's going, friendship is eternal. My friendship with you, my relationship with you is eternal. The concept that God says that we will be known as we are known. That's what heaven's going to be like. As you are known here on this earth, people will know you. Last relationship. God is the perfect master. I wanted to rush to this one because I want to spend a few moments on it. God is the perfect master. All throughout the writings of Paul, Paul refers to himself as the servant of Christ. The servant of Christ. A concept that you and I really don't align with. Anyone like to identify yourself as a servant? Anyone like to identify yourself as someone who is subject to? We might think it's a glamorous concept, but how many like it when you're treated like a servant? We like the title because Jesus says if we don't serve like he did, then we're not quite there. But can I tell you, men, all of us don't like, we don't like to be treated like a servant. We don't like to be demoted like a servant. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Slaves, servants, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and, pe and not people because you know that the Lord will reward each of you for whatever good you do. Many of us come back and we go, well, Kevin, I'm not a servant and I don't have a master. This is the concept of an employer and employee, a leader and a follower. And this is gonna smack our lives a little bit because many times we struggle with not being recognized on the job the way we think we should be recognized. Not acknowledged, not applauded. And so therefore in verse seven, we, very, we can get into an attitude where we don't serve wholeheartedly. Jesus is speaking to us as his followers going, no, I just, I'm, I'm your spouse, I'm your father, I'm your friend, but I'm also your master. I'm also your master. I'm the one that is the Lord of your life. The central message of the Bible is what I would classify probably one of the most important concepts that we miss as a church is the fact, the concept that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone say Lord. We have lost the concept of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. We magnify the concept of Savior. Oh, we love to be saved. We love to be rescued, but the concept of when we come and say, Jesus, be the savior of my life, and the next step that we need to say is, God, not just the savior, but be the Lord of my heart. Probably the concept that all of us struggle with is this lordship. Romans chapter 14 says this, for if we live, we live to the Lord. Everyone say, live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Everyone say, die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Everyone say, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that 
that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This concept, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about serving God, this concept of relationship with God, yes, he is an amazing spouse. Yes, he's an amazing father. Yes, he's an amazing friend. But he's also an amazing, amazing master. But that demands something of you and me. As soon as we come to the place of master, it declares evidently that we are not equal with God. Many of us like to approach God on equal basis. We know he's God. You know, we talk about friends and he's my chum. Can I tell you, we're not equal with God. There is not an equality. We are secondary to. He, we are created beings and he is self-created. We have a time limit and he has no time limit. When the Lordship of Jesus is settled in every issue of our lives, all other issues are settled. All other issues are settled. Probably the biggest struggle that you and I face in our lives is this thing called the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Every decision that we make, every moment of every day. I don't know who said it, but I remember this statement from all my childhood, unless, the, unless Jesus is the Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. A statement that we have quoted and stated, but maybe have forgotten. And oftentimes as we approach God, we approach him on the basis of, well, God's always faithful and I can do what I want to and God's always gonna forgive me. And can I tell you, when we step into relationship with God, there's gotta be the concept that he is the Lord of our lives. If we want his complete blessings and his direction in our lives, we have to come and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And I ask you today, is Jesus the Lord of your thoughts? Is he the Lord of your emotions? Is he the Lord of your speech? Is he the Lord of your relationships? Is he the Lord of your possessions? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your entire life? Is Jesus the Lord of your sexuality? Is Jesus the Lord of your career? Is Jesus the Lord of all that you do? And it comes back to the concept of obedience that you were bought with a price. Your life is not your own. Probably the biggest challenge that we in our culture today, that we push back against, no, I'm my, I, I, I'm my own God in a sense. And I hate to say it, but we can come to church on a Sunday and we can sing our songs and we can acknowledge God as Lord in word, but struggle with it in action because we can go to our job tomorrow and without even consulting God, we can make decisions. We can step into a relationship and rather than acknowledging God or saying, God, what would you have me do in this relationship or how would you have me behave in this relationship? We just do what we wanna do. How many know that if we are left to our own practices, we are gonna bring hurt and pain? We're imperfect, we're broken. It's why we need, we're desperate for the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to get off the throne and let him get on the throne. We have to deliberately pull ourselves off and say, no, God, I put you there. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, I do that every single morning. Do you walk it out that way? Do you truly come back and go, God, I'm consulting you today. What should I do? Jesus told his disciples, he says, many call me Lord, Lord. 
Many call me Lord, Lord. Many call me Master, Master. But they do not do as I ask. As I read that verse this week, as I studied this point this week, can I tell you my heart was deeply convicted to go, God, where have I removed you from lordship? Where have I just got into self-navigation without consulting you for so vital of aspects? As I conclude this morning, I want to ask you, what is it that defines you most? And I'm going to give you the answer. It's your relationship with God that defines you the most. How you walk out your relationship with God is what defines you the most. What defines and determines your earthly relationships? Your relationship with God defines and determines your earthly relationships. That's why we start Relationships 101 Foundation. These ideas of walking with God. I wrote a statement. Make sure that the relationship that defines you the best is the one that you have with God. Every other relationship will be blessed by God's presence in your life. Make sure the relationship that defines you best is the one you have with God for every other relationship will be blessed by God's presence in your life. Today, when we talk about this concept of relationship, if you are struggling in any of these areas outside of your relationship with God, can I tell you the very foundation is get right with Him. Get right with Him. And in getting right with Him this morning, before we pray, I want to ask you four questions. Number one, how are you in your covenant marriage with God? Is that concept just foreign to you? Is it weird and awkward and you're struggling? I want to challenge, I just want to call you to this place of going, are you walking in relationship with God being your husbandman? Are you in covenant with Him? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? Not getting angry at God when life doesn't go the way you want it to? Have you experienced the perfect fatherhood of God? Today I know that this is a struggle. I meet with people all the time that have a wrong father picture. Today as we pray, I'm going to pray over your picture of God, your picture of a father, that God will redeem it, that God will bring restoration and healing. But can I tell you, you have to let go of hurt and pain. You've got to let go of the past. You can't keep score. You may, you may not be able to go to, I, this is for someone here today. You may not be able to go to your dad and say, God, Dad, I forgive you. You may need to go here and say, Dad, I forgive you. In 2016, when my dad died, there was a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And there was no restitution. There was no restoration. And I went into a bad cycle for about two years of my life. But what came out of that was I knew that I had to come back to a God place to go, God, you're my perfect father. Regardless if I ever get anything from him, I've got everything from you. I've had to picture him. I've had to forgive him. Number three, do you know God as your friend? Not as your chum, but as your friend. Someone who's a companion that will never leave you nor forsake you. Someone who's there to encourage, someone to strengthen that you're not in life alone. Someone that doesn't just expect you to be a servant, but comes alongside and actually shares his heart with you. Can I tell you there's nothing greater when God downloads with you in your devotion times? How many ever had that? That you sit in your moments and God just like pours over your life and that's his friendship communicating to you. 
Last question, have you made him Lord of your life? Have you made him Lord of your life? I don't question today that you've prayed the sinner's prayer and said, would you be savior of my life? Maybe you haven't today and we want to give you that, oppor- uh, that opportunity. But can I tell you that more than just the savior of your life, he wants to be the Lord of your life. He doesn't save you just to go about living your life the way you've always lived it. He wants to redeem you. He wants you to bring you into your full purpose of what he created you to be. Would you stand with me across the room? I want to pray with you. If you're here today and one of these areas touch your life, would you just lift your hand across this room? It doesn't, it doesn't matter which one it is. Would you just come and say, God, I need you. God, my God, I need you now. God, my God, I need you now. God, today as we come in this room, and God, we see the brokenness of humanity. We see the brokenness of relationship on this earth. We look to a God and we look to a book and we see a God who is perfect in every aspect. God, today as we look at the institution of marriage and you being our spouse and this covenant that we have with you, God, today we come and we repent. Would you just do that with me? God, I repent of where I have tried to break covenant. God, I repent of where I have broken covenant. God, I repent of where I've been broken in my relationship with you as my spouse. And God, today I pray for restoration in this relationship. God, I pray that there would be a submission to you, a yieldness to you. God, I pray today, God, for those that are in this room that have such a broken experience with fathers. God, I know for a fact that there are many in this room that have either don't know their dad or they've had a really harsh relationship with their dad. And God, today I pray, Father God, Abba Father, that you would show up in their life. Would you be real and personal to them? Would you bring healing and restoration in every facet of their relationship and acknowledgement of who you are to them? God, that they would see your provision, your protection. God, that you would shelter them. God, where there is, where there is human uh, uh, hurt, God, would you help them to walk in forgiveness? And would you bring healing and restoration? God, today, there are many that are in this room that go, I don't have any friends. And my response is there's no greater friend than Jesus. Jesus, thank you for friendship. God, thank you for friendship. God, thank you that you don't just see us as your servants, but you see us as your friends. You walk beside us. You never leave us nor forsake us. You are our forever companion. God, I think of the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. God, what a friend we have in you. God, where there's hurt and where there's pain and where there's brokenness and friendship, would you restore it, that concept in God today? God, and lastly, we thank you for being our Savior. Come on, let's thank him. Across this room, would you just thank him? God, thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for accepting me with my brokenness and sin. Thank you for forgiveness. Come on, church, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the blood that was shed in our lives. And God, today we come not only for for salvation, but God, we ask and we make you Lord of my life. Would you just speak that out? Say, God, I make you Lord of my life. God, I make you Lord of my life. Lord of my thoughts, Lord of my actions. And God, we thank you for it today. We thank you for it today. 
In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Our prayer team is going to be coming this morning. They're right there. I see some of them coming. They want to pray with you. We believe in the power of prayer. This is, a, this is an important ministry as we lay hands upon you. We don't have power. It's God has power. Amen? Do you believe that? And we want to invite you to come and let them pray with you to anoint you, whether that is for healing or whatever it might be. But would you let them pray, lean into your life and pray for you? Otherwise, thank you for coming today. We are so grateful for you being here. Do not miss next week. We're going to step into to human relationships next week, and we're going to see how that plays out. Have an amazing week. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.